Hello and welcome in to this edition of the Daily Perspective Podcast. Mark Congleton here, your sometimes humble host, for about an hour of observation, insight, and absurdity. And as usual, I'm preoccupied. <laughs> Not because of technical problems, but because it's just a, a lazy morning around our place. And, uh, and uh, as a result, I got into the studio late. So, I just... I'm scrambling to get everything up and running that I need to get up and running. So, <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, let's do that. I'm opening up my stories, getting everything ready to roll here. And uh, one of them is being stubborn. So, uh, maybe we just won't do that right now. So, I hope you're doing well. I hope all is well with you and yours and that you are uh, uh, having a great day. That uh, the last 24 hours or so has treated you nicely and that uh, you are excited about Christmas being here in just a few days. It's the Tuesday edition of the Daily Perspective podcast for the 22nd day of December 2020. We are just a few days away from Christmas Day. Um, a quick reminder, no podcast Christmas Day through New Year's Day, but coming up on the Monday following New Year's, the podcast returns. That will be on January 4th, so just be ready. We'll we'll be uh, back in the saddle again the first Monday of the new year. <sighs> Going to be taking some time off, refurbing the studio, doing some work around here. I've got a couple of pieces of equipment. One of them coming in tomorrow. Um, I'm actually really excited about this one. Uh, the other one is um, is under the tree, <laughs> and I can't get to it until Friday. But once I get to that... Um, I'll start uh, refurbing the studio, replacing bits and pieces, and uh, this is going to involve really taking everything away from where it is, taking the computers off the desk and and uh, rewiring everything and trying to straighten everything up and make everything neat and nice and and uh, also hooking in these other pieces of equipment. W- uh, one new piece of studio gear is here. It's... Um, Besides the one I already that's well that's under the tree, the uh, this one actually it was kind of something I gave myself, and um, it's because it's I I wanted to for a while. And just as an example, if you're watching the Facebook live feed, uh, it's uh, it's something called a Stream Deck. It's a Stream Deck XL. It's uh, it's got 32 buttons on it, which are all programmable. And if you look at if you're on Facebook Live, you look at your at your screen right now, you'll see the uh, the the Christmas background is up right now. I hit a button and zoom, there comes the newsroom. And I hit a button and zoom, there comes something. There's the flag. And then up next is uh, Liberty. And then there's the curtain warmer coming up there. Yeah, there we have it. And then back to Christmas again. And uh, I can, I've actually got a key. One button that actually makes uh, the stream live. I can hit the stream and go live. And it has an animated icon to let me know that's running. And then when you uh, when you hit it again, it takes the stream off. It's just uh, it's a cool little piece of kit, and I'm uh, I'm excited to explore the various uses for it because um, you can actually create. Let's see, up to 30, 32 different buttons. Eh, okay, thirty one different buttons. You'll understand in a minute that uh, you can program for whatever, and then the. Uh, the that is just one of many you can do i think it's 32 different pages of buttons and 
<laughs> which means you can have 32 different things. I, I've got to, I've got to read back into it, but you can do several pages of buttons and you can, you can, uh, set each page up or, or each folder. It, they, they call them folders. You use a, you, all of these buttons are in a folder, particularly this particular folder is just for the podcast and I'll have various things, more things loaded into it right now. I don't even have a full row of buttons, but I'll have more things loaded into it. Uh, by the time I, the podcast comes back in January and I'll be able to, to key all of those things as I want just from the buttons here without having to grab the mouse and swing the mouse over to the second screen on the computer and the like. I just look to my right and pick out, what do I want next? Liberty? Okay, there's Liberty. And we're done. It's that easy. And let's go back to Christmas and back to Christmas again. See? Easy stuff. And it does all of the picking for you. It does all of the stuff for you. And I'm just, I am just, I'm beside myself. I really like it a lot. I'm really happy with it. And I'm glad, I'm glad all of that came together. So, um, I'll be able to, as I said, set up folders for different things like, uh, this new project I'm working on <clears throat> that I've been hinting about. I'll set up pages for it. I'll set up pages for, um, for editing, for, for audio, for video, for things like that. And I'll be able to use it for all kinds of things. And that's, Actually, pretty cool. I can even set up audio files on it and fire off audio files. I can have video playback. I can have all kinds of stuff. It's just whatever's in the computer that I want to fire off, I can assign to a single button, and it'll do it. It's just, I'm just beside myself. It's just absolutely great. And then, let's see, the mixer is coming uh, tomorrow. Um, I've got a new, uh, it's a Rodecaster Pro that's coming in to consolidate things so that I can eliminate some of the clutter in here. For example, right now I have outboard gear that, uh, and I've demonstrated this to you before where I've got a piece of outboard gear that processes the microphone and what you're listening to is processed. And this is not processed. That's what it sounds like without the processing. And this is with the processor that's built into this mixer. And, uh, the, uh, what else is there? Uh, excuse me as I clear my throat. Uh, anyway, there's, there's more things coming and, and, uh, the new computer will be here. That's what's under the tree, by the way. So we'll get it all set up. And uh, by the time we get back in here <clears throat> on the 4th, everything should be um, appreciably smoother, easier to operate. I've already got uh, things set up where I have the big monitor in front of me and I'll have a secondary monitor. And um, I'm actually, eh, because I know, <clears throat> excuse me, I know that there is a little bit more money coming. Uh, more on that in a couple of minutes, but there's a little more money coming my way. <clears throat> I'm thinking about replacing the microphone and, uh, I'm not sure if I want to do that or not, but we'll see. I have, um, a sure SM seven, but I have uh, corralled it, <laughs> lassoed it and put it to work at uh, the Dawson studios for Dawson now. And, uh, it is sitting at my uh, mix position for my feedback, you know, for, for me talking back and, and, um, I could probably do that with anything and, uh, I'm, I could either bring it back here or I could, uh, order another mic, but I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. I want to drop that kind of cash right now. Anyway, we'll see how it all pans out. And, and so there you have it. <laughs> That's me rambling around. As I said, I was, uh, I was a little late coming in. I've been opening, uh, things up, trying to get, uh, things to open and, uh, get stories ready. And there's a lot to talk about because, Ah, there we go. Now it's cooperating. 
there's a lot to talk about because we are about to get a stimulus check uh, and that's part of the process and the reason i want to talk about the stimulus check is because i want you to understand this is how washington dc works this is how the people who we send to represent us work i'm not sure if you're aware of this but the $600 check that you're going to get beginning next week is 20% of the stimulus bill. You and I, the people who've paid taxes for all these years, every working dollar we have made, we have had to slice a part of it off and send it to the federal government. We have a, we have a bill that's coming out, a $900 billion ccp virus package they are sending 80 percent of that 900 billion dollars elsewhere treasury secretary steven mnuchin said monday that the federal government will deposit the stimulus payments into bank accounts next week as included in the approximately 900 billion dollar ccp virus package that congress is expected to pass the, uh, and they did. The, the good news, he says, is, is this is a very, very fast way of getting money into the economy. Let me emphasize, people are going to see this money at the beginning of next week. He said in an interview yesterday with CS, CNBC. He says people go out and spend this money and that helps small business and that helps getting more people back to work. So it's very fast. It's money that needs to get recirculated in the economy. Last night, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell or Monday night announced a deal was reached between the four leaders of the House and the Senate. Mnuchin said that he favored a more targeted approach that focused on boosting industries hit by the pandemic. He said unemployment has come way down. This is, uh, now, is now much more targeted. I expect it's needed in a short period of time, and I think this will take us through the economy. In March, Congress passed the CARES Act that deposited $1,200 payments for adults and $500 payments for children. Now, under the latest bill, individuals re will reportedly uh, receive $600 in direct payments and children $600 payments, meaning that a family of four could get up to $2,400. Senator John Barrasso, Republican from Wyoming, said on Sunday that the final deal would include direct $600 payments and an extension of the small business loan program known as the Payment Protection Program that was set up during the CARES Act in March, saying it's a little more specific this time in that the business has to be fewer than 300 employees and that and they have to actually show a loss. And I assume that's in response to people rightfully crying about big businesses, big corporations getting millions and millions of dollars in these payments. And they're the ones who are least affected by all of this. The bill also includes a $300 federal bonus to uh, unemployment benefits and will temporarily keep programs that increase jobless individuals' unemployment insurance eligibility. Regarding the stimulus payments, President Trump called on Congress to increase the amount. <laughs> on Twitter, he says, why isn't Congress giving our people a stimulus bill? It wasn't their fault. It was the fault of China. Referring, to, uh, referring of course, to the CCP virus, which caused a worldwide pandemic. He goes on to say, get it done and give them more money in direct payments. On Sunday night, McConnell tweeted that as, an Amer as the American people continue battling the coronavirus this holiday season, they will not be on their own. Congress has just reached an agreement. We'll pass another rescue package as soon as possible. More help is on its way. McConnell on Twitter and 
uh, when he delivered his remarks on the Senate floor, offered a few to, offered few details about the measure. He said the four leaders of the Senate and the House finalized an agreement. Of course, he didn't give details. If you knew the details, you would be beside yourself. You would be absolutely livid because, as I said, 80% of the money is going elsewhere. In part, you've only heard in part, it's going to business. Well, even more is going outside of the country. One in, for instance, the, a chunk of it's going to Pakistan. And a chunk of it's going to, to, it's going to bizarre causes. Transgender causes, things like that. It's not going to help the people. The politicians are pandering. What they're doing is they're buying votes again. They are buying votes from groups that they portray as victim groups. Subsets of our society who are somehow victimized, usually by their own imagination. But they have a hero in Congress who is going to work for them and defend them. Who is going to pass a bill and... Make sure that a pittance goes to their cause, but even less goes to you and I. We don't get our tax money back. Our tax money is given to people who don't really need it at this point in time. And you should not be happy about that. Another thing you shouldn't be happy about is the fact that this has all been a political volleyball bounced back and forth across the net. It's been a game. It's been something that, quite honestly, we could have uh, lived without. And we'll talk about a, a little bit about that coming up after the break. And the fact that Nancy Pelosi refuses to answer questions about her performance regarding getting you the financial relief you need, you need right now because of what she and others like her have done to the economy of this country. That's coming up next as the Daily Perspective podcast continues on this Tuesday, the 22nd day of December, 2020. It's the Daily Perspective Podcast for Tuesday, December 22nd, 2020. I had to pause for just a split second there to remember it was Tuesday. <laughs> They're all running together. I need help. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, man. You remember I was talking the, uh, yesterday, and actually before that, I've talked about this before, the... One of the, um, a couple of things that I've got ordered, I they haven't even shipped yet. I mean, we're two days away from Christmas Day, but it's just two or three days, and they, it hasn't even, I don't, I, I and I, I, I emailed, said, hey, um, just a little, just a question here. Could you give me the status on this particular order? Because I ordered it like four weeks ago, and I uh, haven't heard anything. And the response I got was an automated response referring me to um, to something that was really not readily accessible or, I should say, prominent 
when I placed the order, or at least I missed it. Or possibly it was one of those things that you check off. I, you know, I, I, you check things off that you don't read a lot of times when you're, you're, you're buying something or you're signing up for something or you're installing something. You check, I have read and agree with yada, yada, yada. Well, maybe that was one of the things, but they referred me back to the shipping policy. This company did. And it, as of November 1st, I ordered this, by the way, on November 21st. And as of November 1st, uh, they their policy is three to four weeks uh, or possibly more. Or was it four to five weeks? I think it was four to five weeks, which would put me the week after Christmas of them actually shipping it, which would mean it would get here after New Year's. So, And, and there are two items. There are two, two gifts in this. So there's... I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess I guess what I'll do is I'll print off images of the two items that I ordered <laughs> and put them in a Christmas card and say, ho, 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 it'll be here whenever. So, <sighs> But the, the thing that my wife was stressing over that I've told you about before, that came yesterday. So no more stress from that corner. Now it's just me. And I don't stress. I, I get grumpy. I don't stress. Frank, come on. I... I, I do the Yosemite Sam cursing is what I do. It's just not a happy thing. Oh, well, you do what you do. And th- something else that doesn't make people happy is this stimulus bill. I want to go back. Before we get to Nancy Pelosi, I want to go back over something else. And I mentioned where the money's going, that 80% of it is going to other places besides you. I mean, face it. Who, uh, who's hurting? Small business. Small business is hurting. And you. You're hurting because you can't work um, you or whatever. Now, some of us are, are in situations where we have been blessed that the work didn't stop or we are, you know, you, retired or whatever. So the income stream hasn't really changed. But a lot of people, if you're in that, in that category, you need to remember that a lot of people are suffering because they aren't getting the money they normally get, which means... They've had to cut everything way back. They, 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 everything in life has changed. And what they need is their money, all of their money. Honestly, we don't, need, we don't need a check from the government. We need the government to stop taxing us. We need the government to stop taking our money away from us. That's what we need. Oh, but Mark, how will they fund all the programs? The programs are a mistake. They are something we've allowed the government to do it never should have done. The programs are solutions to problems created by other idiots in government before the ones that are in there now. So we should stop the bleeding by stopping the spending. We don't have a tax problem. We have a spending problem. Politicians love to spend money because spending money makes people, certain groups of people happy because they're the beneficiaries and those people will vote for the people who made them happy. You see what that means? When they're spending money, they're buying votes. And that's what's going on. But they always they always phrase it like it's a miraculous thing and they're doing a wonderful thing for the people. But this time, $900 billion, they're not sending all of it to you. They're sending 80% of it elsewhere. For example, Vietnam's getting $169,739 million. Including nineteen million dollars to remediate dioxins. 
unspecified funds to continue support for not-for-profit institutions of higher education in Kabul, Afghanistan that are accessible to both women and men in a co-educational environment. $198,323,000 to Bangladesh. That includes $23.5 million to support Burmese refugees and $23.3 million for democracy programs. Can I translate democracy programs for you? Socialism. $130,265,000 to the nation of Nepal for development and democracy programs. Pakistan gets $15 million for democracy programs and $10 million for gender programs. Sri Lanka gets up to $15 million for the refurbishing of a high-endurance cutter, which is a type of patrol boat. $505,925,000 to Belize, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Panama to address key factors that contribute to the migration of unaccompanied, unaccompanied undocumented minors to the United States. $461,375,000 goes to Colombia for programs related to counter-narcotics and human rights. $74.8 million goes to the Caribbean Basin Security Initiative. $33 million for democracy programs for Venezuela. Colombia, Peru, Ecuador, Curaçao, Trinidad, and Tobago get an unspecified amount for assistance for communities in countries supporting or otherwise impacted by refugees from Venezuela. $132,025,000 for assistance for Georgia. And finally, $453 million goes for assistance for Ukraine. I'll include this in the show notes. I actually just pulled it up during the break, but I'll, I'll include this in the show notes so that you can refer to this if you need to. It's coming from uh, toddstarns.com. It is, you're getting a $600 cash handout. They're putting it in your bank account, or possibly you're getting a check, depending on how you manage your finances with the FID. But you're only getting 20% of the money allocated. This is where the rest of it's going. Or some of the rest of it. This is not all of it. This is insane, but this is our government. And what they're counting on is you not knowing about all of this other stuff. And if you confront them with it, they will say, well, don't you want to help these people? And your answer should be a flat, no, I want to help Americans first. So you should flip this equation. 80% of that money should be coming to us and 20% should be going to other places. I'm not for, I'm not, I'm not against helping those in need, but the people in the greatest need right now actually are the people whose money this is. It's your money. It's my money. And they're giving it 80% of it to people outside of the United States of America and not you. They're not sending you your money when you need it the most. They're having fights about it. In fact, Democrat House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is playing politics with it. She has been for quite some time. She refused repeatedly to answer a question from a CNN reporter on Sunday 
about why she decided to accept a smaller stimulus package now, which she claimed wasn't nearly enough. After she refused to accept a much larger deal from the Trump administration before the election. CNN's Manu Raju said, Pelosi wouldn't answer my question about why the $900 billion deal is more acceptable to her than the $1.8 trillion offer Mnuchin made for her to her last uh, this last fall. Pelosi, Pelosi wouldn't call on me at the press conference, which is becoming a pattern, even though just five reporters were there. She left the press conference as I asked her the question, and she ignored my question in the hallway as well. Asked again in the hallway why this proposal is more acceptable than the Mnuchin plan, Pelosi didn't respond. But Schumer, who was walking with her in the hallway, said, ask Miss M- Mitch McConnell. It's true that McConnell and Senate Republicans objected to Mnuchin's $1.8 trillion plan, but so did Pelosi, who said in October, this proposal amounted to one step forward, two steps back. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell announced on Sunday that he had secured a deal with other congressional leaders that will provide desperately needed funds to struggling Americans, although many on both sides said it was not nearly enough. He slammed Democrats for stalling on getting a deal done, saying that Republicans had wanted to do this months ago, but that the Democrats, by their own admission, had stalled because they didn't want to make a deal before the election. You see, they didn't want they didn't want to help Donald Trump. That was the issue. They didn't want to help the president before the election. They wanted to be able to lie to people and tell them that he was not helping them. But it was actually the Democrats not helping. And now they're helping themselves to piles and piles of your money to give to other people and other countries instead of you. It's the Daily Perspective Podcast for Tuesday... December 22nd, 2020. Glad you're along for the ride today. Thank you so much for joining in. Been sort of going through the stuff to talk about today. I'm not going to get to everything. There's something I really want to get to before we wrap up. It's an analysis by um, an attorney of the way the vote has turned out and what we've been told. Um, And um, I want to make sure that you hear that. And just as an FYI, as a warning, it's not going to be in the show notes. So, uh, and it's because I can't get a link to it. Uh, It's not one of those things that that has a link to it. It's on Facebook and I'll see if I can find a way to to make that happen. But when I was grabbing and pasting things this morning, I didn't have a, a way to do that, but I, that's, that's coming up. That's coming up next. First, um, once again, a reminder, no podcasts next week at all. Um, Christmas Eve, Christmas day, meh. Christmas Eve, there may be something. Wow. I had to sneeze there for, wow. Goodness. Holy cow. Hang on. Woo, man. Ah, boy, that's good. All right. Now, um, Christmas Eve. Yeah, I'm working on something. Christmas Day for sure. Nothing there. And then for the following week, back on the fourth. 
Now, um, the White House advisor, Peter Navarro, has, is claiming in an interview that happened yesterday that more than 379,000 possibly illegal ballots were allegedly cast in Michigan. He says, my top line number at this point for illegal, possibly illegal ballots is 379,000. That's more than twice the victory margin, he says on Steve Bannon's War Room podcast. Navarro, he's the head of the White House Office for Trade and Manufacturing Policy, last week released his own report saying the election may well have been stolen from President Donald Trump. Navarro said he produced that report as a private citizen, not as a U.S. official. We talked about it here, remember? But in the Bannon interview yesterday, Navarro claimed he has the receipts now to prove that votes were illegally cast in the state of Michigan, saying that 174,384 ballots were cast without proper voter ID. Another 195,000 or so, he says, were the product of inexplicable vote surges. He did not elaborate on the nature of these receipts. During a nine-hour period on November 4th, Trump had a significant lead over Joe Biden. Within five seconds at around 6.30 a.m., Biden's total votes skyrocketed by 141,258 votes, or 30 times the expected vote count, says Navarro. He cites data from the New York Times. Within that same time frame, do you know how many Trump got? 5,968 votes. In another instance, at around 3.50 a.m. Eastern in Michigan, 54,497 votes were provided for Biden, while Trump only received about 4,700 votes. He stresses that this is irregular. Now, the Epoch Times, from whence this story comes, has reached out to the Michigan Secretary of State's office for comment about Navarro's claims. Navarro said there was a coordinated strategy by the Democrat Party in battleground states of bending the law or breaking the law during the election. Ballot mishandling, voting machine irregularities, the violation of the Constitution's Equal Protection Clause, and stuffing ballot boxes were strategies they already employed. They allegedly employed. Quote, these people hate Trump so much, more than they love the country, and they were willing to bend and sometimes break the law to secure a Biden victory. When questions about what, what he's doing in his personal capacity, Navarro said he's personally reaching out to several states about alleged fraud allegations. But Navarro stated that GOP-led legislatures in states like Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Michigan who failed to act on the fraud allegations are failing their constituents. He stressed, Quote, I can't explain what's going on in these state legislatures other than to say that they don't embrace economic nationalism. The economic nationalism that Trump has, has promoted. They've turned their backs on the institution of democracy. In his report, Navarro said that there was no single moment of election fraud or an irregularity that boosted Biden over Trump in key states. But rather, he said, this was theft by a thousand cuts across six dimensions and six battleground states. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, a Democrat, recently cited outgoing Attorney General William Barr in saying that his office has found no evidence of voter fraud in the states, in the United States. By the way, that's a misquote, and she knows it's a misquote. 
according to her statement to the state's legislature on December 17th. Previously, she said there was no outstanding evidence of election fraud in the state. Barr, meanwhile, told reporters Monday that there is no basis for the federal government to seize voting machines or appoint a special prosecutor to examine the November 3rd election. By the way, that that word that's been going around that they're going to seize the voting machines and declare martial law and all, it's all rumor. It's just the rumor mill doing what it does, which is blurring the facts and creating confusion and anger. There has been no proposal by the Trump administration to do any such thing. Um, let's see here. Benson said, this is the truth as certified by our state board of canvassers. And it's important that every leader acknowledge this in order for us to move forward and solve many of the critical issues ahead of us. In other words, pay no attention to the evidence being put forth by people, the statistical breakdown being presented by certain people, the questions you may have, because this just doesn't make sense. (laughs) Who are you going to believe? The officials or your lying eyes. That's what this kind of boils down to when you ask the Democrat officials in charge. They don't want you to pay attention to the people who are raising their hand and saying, um, wait a minute. They want you just to listen to the officials because the officials are smarter than you and they know better than you. And this is a whole lot more complicated than, than, uh, than you understand. And you best just leave this to the people in charge. In other words, they are doing what they always do, which is condescending to you and telling you, eh, this is over your head. Don't worry about it. Let us do it because, and you know where I'm going, progressive politicians and progressives in general wholeheartedly believe that they are both intellectually and morally superior to everyone else. That means you. They're smarter than you. They know more than you. And they care more than you do. So you should just shut up and trust them. They really do believe you're an idiot. They believe you're too stupid to grasp what's actually going on. And a response to that has happened in Detroit. William Hartman felt like he was stuck in a Mission Impossible movie when he left a Wayne County Board of Canvassers meeting in Detroit in November. Law enforcement advised him not to return home. Instead, they escorted him with just the clothes on his back to a friend's house for safety. He told the Epoch Times, I was so scared. The police actually had people stationed outside in different locations watching in case anything happened. They were there for three or four days. He said he didn't venture outside for a week. He said, I was afraid that somebody might recognize me when I was out and want to beat me up. Mr. Hartman was one of two Republic. Republican members of the Wayne County Board of Canvassers who initially refused to certify the election results due to imbalances in the numbers. Hartman and Monica Palmer deadlocked the certification with a two to two vote in November on November 17th, which resulted in a swift and hostile reaction from Democrats and community leaders over Zoom. The two were called a disgrace by Reverend Wendell Anthony, a pastor and head of the Detroit branch of the National Association for the Advancement of Uh Uh-oh, colored people. Why is that word still in there if they're so progressive? Anthony said, you have extracted a black city out of a country, out of a county, and said the only ones that are at fault is the city of Detroit, where 80% of the people who reside here are African-Americans. Shame on you, so says Reverend Anthony.
Ned Stabler, vice president at Wayne State University in Detroit, said, quote, the stain of racism that you, William Hartman, and Monica Palmer have just covered yourself in is going to follow you throughout history. Hartman said that while he was concerned that the numbers in predominantly black Detroit didn't add up, the discrepancies are predominantly white Livonia in predominantly white Livonia were actually worse. Hartman and Palmer both challenged, uh, changed their votes later that night after they were assured the state would allow an independent audit to be performed. The results were, thir- were certified, although the two, two still haven't officially signed the certification. The next day, Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson said the independent audit wouldn't proceed. Hartman said, the news media went to my house and filmed the front of my house and my address, and then my website was doxxed, and I got over 1,500 hate emails. And you got to then throw social media on top of that. He didn't receive any explicit death threats, but was told to burn into hell many times, he says. He worked with a friend to retrieve some clothes and his computer from home. He says he arranged with a local police de- police department to have an unmarked van and a couple of police cars go to the house. I gave him the key and I stayed in a remote location and we communicated using FaceTime and I told him what to get. So they did that and then the police car sort of blocked in the news media vans and then the other van, they'd taken the license plates off just so they couldn't be tracked down and that drove different ways till they got to where I was and then I got my stuff and I drove back to where I was staying. Hartman said the tenant in his duplex was also forced to go live with her sister for a while. He's back home now, but the police still conduct regular drive-bys. After the initial drama, Hartman still trying to get his head around the discrepancies. He said he didn't vote to certify the results initially because close to 71% of Detroit's absent voter counting boards didn't balance between the machine count and the paper pal- uh, ballot count, and no explanation was provided as to why. For example, an undercount of one means there is a one less paper ballot than the machine total. And the explanation may be that a ballot was destroyed, but it wasn't recorded in the poll book, says Hartman. Any discrepancy without an explanation can't be counted in a recount, and the machine tally has to be used. It's when you have overs. You have more voters voting than you have voters in the precinct. That doesn't make any sense to me. How did that happen? Nobody can give you an answer. Well, they're not going to give you an answer. And the reason is they don't have a legal truthful answer. All they can do is dodge and say things like, well, there were more registered voters this time, or the population increased, or something else that is vague. Eh, it's somewhat conceivable, but still leaves you itching because something's not quite right. Well, that's something quite right, not quite right is what we're going to look up next after this break on the Daily Perspective Podcast. Welcome back. It's the Daily Perspective Podcast for Tuesday, December 22nd, 2020. I want to get back to uh, the fishy, funny business surrounding the election. And to do that, I want to go to Nashville, Tennessee, to an entertainment attorney by the name of Lanny Cates. 
who posted on Facebook earlier today something that I needed to share with you. I just have to share this with you. Because you need to understand this particular perspective of what's going on with the vote. To understand how insane all of this actually is. I shared this with my wife earlier this morning and she was just, just, she, she, she grasped it and said, wow, that's, you, as I said to her, you can be angry about this and say, well, they stole it, but you need to understand what actually happened. You need to have a grip on certain factual, concrete aspects of this so that you understand that what's happening in front of our very eyes right now is a massive, the most massive fraud which has happened in American history. It's, it's monumental, and you need to see what's going on. Now, to the post from Facebook by Lanny Cates. He says, the central argument used by so-called fact-checkers, PolitiFact, and USA Today, those paragons of impartiality engaged by Facebook to flag my posts, calling out the statistical improbabilities of Joe Biden, Esquire, receiving 12 million more votes in 2020 than Obama could muster in 2008, is the explanation that more eligible voters actually voted in the 2020 election, roughly 66% in 2020, as opposed to 61% of eligible voters in 2008, also relying upon the notion of population growth as a contributing factor to Biden's victory. My grandfather once attempted to take me snipe hunting before I figured out that the mythical snipe didn't exist. I don't like snipe hunts. This exercise by leftist fact-checkers championed by Grandfather Joe and his prosecutor for hire, VP, feels vaguely reminiscent of a snipe hunt, a fiction, a man-made construct omitting several key factors. The Biden explanation only works if you don't peer too closely at the statistics or ask too many questions. To satisfy my nagging curiosity... I surveyed recent United States census numbers to configure my own analysis. Statistician I, uh, statistician I am not, nor do I claim to be. Nevertheless, in my cursory analysis, it seems to me that, a, that plot holes and logical leaps plague the Biden explanation. And as a result, there is more than a decent chance that America is being led by the left on one gigantic snipe hunt. The total number of U.S. citizens over 18 and eligible to vote in November of 2018 was 229 million, supposedly growing to 240 million by 2020, an increase of 11 million citizens becoming eligible to vote in just two years. Hmm. The U.S. population in 2018 was 327 million. In the 2020, in 2020, the U.S. population was estimated to be 200 or 331 million an increase of 4 million people in that same two-year period. And yet we are told that the number of voting eligible citizens in the United States increased by 11 million in that same two-year time span. That assumption means that in just two short years, the number of citizens who turned 18 or who became eligible to vote outpaced the population growth by almost three times. The percentage of registered voters in 2018 as a percentage of citizens eligible to vote that is 229 million, was roughly 67%, resulting in a little over 150 million registered voters in 2018. If that percentage of registered voters held steady, there should have been only 161 million registered voters in 2020. 67% of 240 million, that's 161 million. Notwithstanding, 
the total number of votes attributed to Biden and President Trump was roughly 157 million votes, which would infer roughly a 97% participation by registered voters. Did you catch that? 97% participation. You remember when we were questioning 80-odd percent? I think it was in Michigan. Or was it Pennsylvania? It was one of the questionable states. But the math, if we're to believe the Democrats, requires that 97% of registered voters actually cast their vote this time. 97%. That is a statistical impossibility. It can't happen. It never happens. There is never, ever that much voter participation. It's usually around 50%. Maybe a bit higher. As we've said, 67% before. How did it jump from 67 to 97%? A 30% jump? How? That's something else to say, hmm, about. However, in 2018, the number of registered voters who actually participated by voting was only around 54%. See? Yeah, that's correct. Only 54% of eligible voters participated by actually voting in 2018. The Biden explanation collapses under the weight of its own surreal absurdity which cannot support the former VP receiving 84 million votes in 2020. So in order for, to support Biden's claims, we must increase those percentages and numbers. And so if we increase the number of registered voters to 75% as a percentage of 240 million eligible citizens, and also increase the number of registered voters who actually participated by voting to 75% to compensate for COVID concerns, you know, mail-in votes and such, those Jacked up numbers should be enough, right? Well, using those significantly skewed numbers, we still only arrive at a possible total of 135 million votes, well short of the number of votes claimed by Biden, Esquire. How much fudgery is needed to arrive in the land of voter unicorns? We'd need to increase the actual voter registration registration to over 80% of all United States eligible age voters and also increase voter participation to over 80% all across America in order to achieve the total numbers claimed by Biden. And those 80% numbers assume the legitimacy of the jump of 11 million more eligible voters from 2018 to 2020. I'm sorry. I just don't buy it not for one of the most unappealing presidential and vice presidential pairings this side of Walter Mondale and the name of his female VP candidate now almost lost to history. All of the leftist propaganda rags quote voter participation as a percentage of eligible voters. That's 66.7%. But fail to mention the subject of registered voters. These fact-checkers do not attempt to explain or justify the improbable spikes required to reach Biden's numbers which are either the result of a substantial influx of voting-eligible citizens, whom voted mostly for Biden, as well as abnormally high voter registration and voter participation, especially compared to 2018. Or, there has been manipulation of the process, and as a result, the numbers and so many of the votes counted for Biden were simply not legitimate votes. And that is the post 
by attorney Lanny J. Cates from Nashville. And I think he has some incredible insight here. He looked at the numbers, did his own research with readily available information, and what he turned up reveals that the claims being made by the left about why the vote was so high are all the stuff of fantasy. They're lying. And they're lying because they know that there has been massive fraud in this election. And that massive fraud has resulted in the theft of a presidency. And this all happens because the left is desperate for power and control. They are desperate for power and control because they firmly and, and deeply believe that they are in the right. And as such, it doesn't matter what they do, what lie they tell. It doesn't matter what laws they break. They've got to do it in order to achieve their goals. We live in a society, a nation of laws. We have these laws as, as guardrails to keep us from drifting off of the path which is best for our nation. Those guardrails are there for a very specific reason. They were constructed by people who looked at the history of the world before them, who looked at the history of governments before them, who looked at the behavior of people and politicians who went before them, who disagreed on many, many things, but finally came to compromises and agreement and laid out the foundation for this nation, a foundation of law. A constitution which guides and directs us, or that is, those of us who abide by it. And they did this because they know, or they knew at the time, that certain people given power will never be satisfied. They will always want more. And those people will believe that they're right to want more because they firmly believe that they are in, a, in an elite class of people who are better qualified to manage things than anyone else. And they will even hurt those they govern for their own good. Remember what I said before about shepherds breaking a leg of the sheep? I know you, like I, do not want a government that will harm us for our own good. But that's what we have. And that's all for today. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow for the next edition of the Daily Perspective Podcast. Have a great day. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Oh, we're, uh, we're done.